Hello. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And man, do we have a doozy for you. Woo! You know, it's our favorite favorite word, so. Another day, another doozy. Exactly. (laughs) And I think uh, this episode is definitely, I think that word is very fitting for this, so. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's definitely a good one. And before we dive in, I know said off air, you and I were just chatting about some true crime updates. I know last episode I told everyone I've been like once a week looking up Lake Mead updates. I just did again and it looks like maybe there's something, but the updates weren't recent. Like when I would click on the article, it would say posted in August or October or things like that. So I'm holding off until I can get concrete evidence because I only found a couple articles with this potential information. So stay tuned. Maybe next week we'll have a better update for you. Yes. Um, and I know I was telling Peyton, so I've been really obsessed with the the murderers <laughs> of the four college kids in Moscow, Idaho. And it's still, you know, they don't have anyone at large right now. But one of the big things that they were kind of mentioning before was that it wasn't a target. It it was a targeted, you know, hot crime that was committed. Attack, you know, the, yeah. The murders were definitely targeted. That was like their big selling point. Um, so I follow a page on Instagram called True Crime Society, and they've been also like following it pretty more obsessively than I have. But basically, they had posted a post from the. Moscow Police Department that said that there's a chance it might not be a targeted attack any longer. Like that they Oh my god, don't... so they think it is just like random? There's a possibility. So apparently there's like a bike trail or like a path that's right next to that house and there's been like past inc- instances where like, you know, weird shit had happened apparently on these paths or like crimes were committed so now they're saying that there is a possibility of it not being a targeted attack so it was like one day they they had brought that up and then now i feel like they kind of went back on it and are saying it's targeted because people are freaking the fuck out which i don't 100%, know 100 they should freak out because you and i yeah. discussed this like yeah oh very brutal very br- vicious attack but just kidding everyone in the community is safe don't worry about anything well no you can't prove that right now there's no information so yeah everyone should be vigilant yeah so i'm not 100 positive on that one i mean it does seem like something that would make more sense to be targeted but they definitely opened their mouths and said that there was a chance that it wasn't targeted and then kind of went back on it but i feel like them going back on it was because everyone was freaking the fuck out so then they were like oh wait we need to calm the community down yeah, that's so, absolutely bonkers. Definitely interested to oh see how that plays out. I know I've sent you some videos of, like, the family members and stuff at, like, the vigil and on the streets, and it's pretty heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the one you sent me was, like, really devastating. With the, mom, the two the girls. girls being best friends and... Yeah. It and was they just, died in the same bed together. 
Yeah, it was just really sad. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. That was depressing. So hopefully they get some answers because, like, what the fuck? Mm hmm. And I think one of, so I had mentioned, I think, last week or to you on the side, like, one of the girl's moms, like, didn't want to have a service because she didn't want the chance, like, that the murderer would come to the service. And so she's still, like, postponing it. Like, they don't have a date set because they don't want the murderer so to sad. come to the service, which you can't even, like, bear your child because you feel uncomfortable doing it. Like, yeah, that's devastating. That's, like, super devastating. Hopefully we get some more progress and answers because this whole that whole thing is insane. Literally crazy. But I'll keep you updated for sure because I make sure to search it at least once a day. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> and I'm sure folks uh, will have some opinionated conversations here soon about the Casey Anthony docuseries. <laughs> Sydney's yes. got a lot of opinions. She's watched it. I have not yet. Uh, so I'm going to try and watch it this week. And hopefully next recording we can chat about it. Yes. <laughs> you should definitely watch it so we can chat about it. On or and, off the air. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it a little on the air so we can give our quick summaries. But we won't give anything away. Okay. Okay. But Sydney told me I'll have to go into it open-minded, which will be very hard for me to do. <laughs> but I will try. I love I to play lots advocate. Of op- I have lots of opinions on the Casey Anthony case. So, yeah, we'll see how this I, goes. I mean, <laughs> honestly, though, like, going into it, I, I had, my mind was 100% made up. But I like to play devil's advocate. So, not saying for or against I just feel like there were some points that were made that need to be discussed okay okay open (laughs) you're very you're very stressed about it you're gonna text me and you're like fuck this I'm done I'm so stressed about it it's very nerve-wracking what were you on when you were telling me that I needed to go open-minded into this (laughs) we'll see it'll be good (laughs) Well, anything else to add before we dive into this case this week? No, I think you're good to dive right in. Okay. In the state of Arkansas in 1987, something horrific happened in the Simmons family home at Christmas time. I'd like to say that the Simmons family was a typical all-American family, and honestly, they may have started that way, but there were definitely issues within the walls of that home. Today, we will discuss these events and how this tragedy went down in history to be known as the worst family massacre in the history of the United States. Ronald Gene Simmons Sr. was born July 15, 1940 in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Fun fact, makes him a cancer because, you know, I have been looking at the Zodiac signs lately, uh, which is very interesting if anyone knows anything about astrology and Zodiac signs. Cancers are very uh, emotional (laughs) and sensitive. Uh, So interesting. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) When he was just three and a half years old, 
Ronald's father had died of a stroke. And within a year, his mother actually remarried a man who worked for the Army Corps of Engineers. In 1946, the Corps moved him to Little Rock, Arkansas, which would be the first of many moves the family would make for the next 10 years. Luckily, they were all within the state of Arkansas. In September of 1957, at the age of 17, Ronald Gene Simmons would drop out of school and join the U.S. Navy. Um, fun fact, just a little side note, because I thought this was interesting. My grandfather's brother, he had several brothers, but the one closest in age to him, he actually did something similar. He was like 15 or I think he was 16, maybe. And he wasn't legally old enough at the time to sign the papers and join the military. And he had told his parents, so my great-grandparents, hey, I'm dropping out of high school. You have two options. Uh, <laughs> either I dip and I'm, you won't see me again, or you sign and I'm joining the military. And he joined the military at like 16. So surprisingly, as crazy as it seemed, it's like really not uncommon in the 50s a lot of people dropped out of high school my grandpa said it was like pretty normal that's wild I never even would have thought of that yeah like it's very crazy but especially if you come from like a family like my family didn't like my grandpa's family didn't have a lot of money and so he my great uncle ended up making a career in the military but that's how it started so very yeah very interesting just had to share because I was like 17 dropped out and joined the military like that's wild but then I remembered like well that's actually not that crazy (laughs) at that time (laughs) that was pretty normal uh but Ronald was first stationed at the naval station Bremerton in Washington he actually while there met Bursabi Rebecca Ulibari uh that name's wild. She went by Becky, so that's all I'll call her. Uh, July 9th, 1960, Becky and Ronald actually were married in the state of New Mexico, and they began their lives together. They lived in New Mexico. For the next 18 years, the couple would actually have seven kids together. Again, seven kids wasn't crazy back then, but the thought of seven kids now is wild. Uh, the kids were Sheila, Ronald Jean Simmons Jr., or Jean, as he was called, William, or Billy, as he was called, Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and the youngest was Rebecca, named after her mother, but she also went by Becky. In the meantime, so they got married in 1960. In 1963, Simmons' career in the Navy would actually end, but he decided he was not done with his military service. Roughly just two years later, he actually joined the Air Force, which I don't think was common to join multiple branches of military. Uh, Very strange to me, but he ended up having a... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I just want to chime in on that, because I didn't think that that was common either, but my grandpa was, like, in, he was a Marine, and then he joined the Air Force. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it I would have been, like, around that, that time frame. Mm-hmm. 
okay, so maybe that was common too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you could like jump ship like that, but apparently, yeah, because like, or maybe his, it was like his career opposite. in the Navy ended, and like instead of reenlisting or like signing up for another contract, he let it lapse and was like, okay, I'm done. And then two years later, it was like, eh, I'm gonna join the Air Force. Like, yeah, because now I'm thinking about it. I don't know if it was a Marine or if it was something else, but it was something, and then it was the air force but it was something else or army and then the air force but That's it was like so wild. i didn't think that was the thing <laughs> well interesting to know see this is i'm glad because i thought that was uncommon but i'm glad <laughs> because it may not might not have been apparently not <laughs> well overall ronald would have a 20-year military career he earned actually a lot of awards uh, he earned a Bronze Star Medal, the Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross for his service as an airman, and he also earned the Air Force Ribbon of Excellent marks- Marksmanship. When he retired on November 30th, 1979, he was at the rank of Master Sergeant. So, I mean, that's a good rank. Just a couple years after his military retirement in 1981, though, things within the Simmons family household were rocked quite a bit. Ronald was being investigated by the Department of Human Services in the city of Cloudcroft, New Mexico, where the family lived. Things were not all fine and dandy as this family portrayed. There were actually accusations that he had been sexually abusing his 17-year-old daughter, Sheila, and that he fathered a child with her. Ronald feared he would be arrested, so he packed up his family and left that year, heading to Arkansas. Fun fact, uh, when he dipped, there was actually an indictment issued for his arrest, and the indictment la- uh, lapsed and the arrest warrant lapsed after a year because they could not locate the family. So his fear for being arrested was actually accurate. In the summer of 1983, the family finally settled down in Pope County, Arkansas, and were living on a 13-acre piece of land just north of the city of Dover. Family called this plot of land Mockingbird Hill. The home on this property consisted of two older model mobile homes joined together to form one big home for the family, which I can't picture, but that seems sketch to me. I don't know. Uh, There was no phone or even indoor plumbing here, and it was surrounded by a makeshift privacy fence, which got as high as 10 feet in some spots. There were... Uh, There was a cesspit dug on the property, actually pretty recent in 1987, uh, before the events we'll dive into were take took place. At the time, Ronald actually had his family help dig this pit, and he told them it was because he was going to build an actual outhouse. So uh, just keep that in mind. While in Arkansas, Ronald took a lot of low-paying jobs to help support the family, but it kind of seemed like he never lasted anywhere too long. He quit a job working in accounts receivable at a local freight company after there were multiple reports of sexual advances. He made inappropriate, you know, advances towards coworkers. 
From there, he went on to work at a local mini-mart. He was actually there for roughly a year and a half before randomly quitting on December 18th, 1987. He, like I said, was far from perfect. We'll get into more into the home life speculations later, but things really only got worse from here. So Ronald quit his job on December 18th. On December 22nd, 1987, He woke up that morning, just a few days before Christmas, and murdered his wife of 27 years, Becky, and his oldest son, Gene, by bludgeoning them with a hammer and then shooting them with a 22 caliber gun. So, things escalated quite quickly here. He then proceeded to kill his three-year-old granddaughter, Barbara, who was also in the home at the time. He did so by strangling her. After this, Ronald moved all three bodies to that cesspit that was dug out by his family recently. And then he sat there and waited. What was he waiting for in that home, you might ask? Ronald was waiting for the rest of his school-aged children to return home from school that day once they were released on their Christmas break. And if you aren't thinking, like, what an awful piece of human garbage, like, it's, like I said, it only gets worse and worse. When the kids got home, he told them he had presents for them and he wanted to give them their gifts one at a time. So, one at a time, his four children that got home from school went with him. First, he strangled his 17-year-old daughter, Loretta. And then held her head underwater in the rain barrel to ensure she was dead. He then proceeded to do the same thing with the three other children there. Eddie, who was 14 at the time. Marianne, who was 11. And Becky, the baby, who was 8. After killing the remaining four kids who lived with him, he also moved their bodies and dragged them to the cesspit with the other three he had left there. Ronald then stayed in that home for the next four days as if nothing happened. (laughs) Around midday, December 26, the rest of his family showed up to celebrate the holidays with the family because, mind you, it's Christmas time and the family was invited over. The first to arrive was Billy and his wife, Renata, whom Ronald shot and killed. He then also strangled and drowned their 20-month-old son, Trey, which was his grandson and under two years old. His oldest daughter, Sheila, then arrived with her husband, Dennis, who he also shot and killed. And just as a reminder, Sheila was the daughter that he, the accusations that he sexually abused as a child. He then strangled and killed Sheila's seven-year-old daughter, Sylvia, and 20-month-old son, Michael, which again, in case you can't do math, is another grandson under the age of two. Sylvia, fun fact, the seven-year-old was actually Ronald's biological child. He did father this child after sexually abusing his daughter. So just to make matters worse, it was later confirmed he did sexually abuse his daughter. So let's just 
get that out there now. At this point, Ronald had killed his entire family, which totaled at 14 people. So, Merry Christmas. Like, I don't, it's awful. I'm so sorry. I just keep picking all these horrific family massacre. She said Merry Christmas. Family crimes. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm so sorry, people. Uh, And unfortunately, it's not done there. So, (laughs) just keeps going for a little bit. Ronald moved their bodies into the lounge area of the home and lined them up in neat rows. He covered all their bodies with coats, except Sheila, who was covered by her mother's best tablecloth. And uh, fun fact, later on when the bodies are found, they're also found in the lounge area next to the fully decorated Christmas tree that had wrapped Christmas presents underneath. So, just add to that. The two youngest babies, Trey and Michael, were wrapped in plastic, like garbage bag plastic, and left in abandoned cars at the end of their road near their home. That night, Ronald then drove to a local Sears in the city of Russellville, picked up Christmas gifts he had previously ordered for his family, and then went out to the bar for a drink at a local watering hole. He then returned home and continued to drink and watch TV as if nothing fucking happened. Oh, my God. My mind is, like, blown. Because you're doing that while you're sitting inside this home with, like, with multiple dead bodies in that home. Yeah. That you killed of your family. It's one thing if you're not, I'm not saying it's okay, but it's one thing if you're gone. Like, it's out of sight, out of mind, almost. Like, when you're literally, like, sitting there with them. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, just watching TV, hanging out. Like, oh, let me go murder 14 people in my family and then go pick up their fucking Christmas presents I ordered. What? (laughs) Yeah, right. Why are you getting the presents now? Sydney, I have so many questions. And I really hate to tell everyone listening, but like, you're really not going to get a lot of answers. So I'm just going to tell you now. (laughs) Lovely. Sorry. <laughs> two days later, so he again sat in that house with everyone for two days. <laughs> two days later, December 28th, Ronald drove back to the city of Russellville and went to a Walmart where he bought another gun because he already owned one. After buying this gun, Ronald then headed to a law firm where he, where the secretary and like the receptionist who worked there he had previously worked with at the freight company, Kathy Kendrick. Ronald had met her and was obsessed with her when they worked at the freight company. She was the one that rejected him and his advances and actually made complaints about him before he quit. So he showed up to the law firm, walked in, and instantly shot and killed Kathy, then turned around and left. If you think, okay, that's it, you're wrong. He then left there and headed to an oil company office where he wanted to kill the owner, Rusty Taylor. Rusty was also the owner of the Mini Mart where Ronald had recently been working before he quit 10 days before this current day where he's out on this rampage. When he arrived, he did attempt to kill Rusty, but he only wounded him. 
Unfortunately, another person was in the building and in the path of Ronald. His name was James Chaffin. He was shot and killed. And another employee in the building was also shot at, but lucky for him, Ronald missed. James was the only complete stranger who would be killed by Ronald on his murder spree. From the oil company, his third stop that day would actually be the mini Bart he previously worked at, where he would shoot and luckily only wound two more people. And finally, from there, he headed to the local freight company where he also used to work, and he shot his former boss twice. Again, fortunately, only wounding her. He then forced one of the employees at gunpoint and took them as his hostage and made them call the police. So, seems strange. While holding this employee hostage, Ronald supposedly told them, I've come to do what I wanted to do. It's all over now. I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. So, seems pretty vengeful if you, vengeful if you ask me. Extremely. And, like, kind of delusional. Uh, yes. To say the least, I would say. I mean, I wouldn't say kind of. I should say very delusional. <laughs> because uh, it doesn't seem logical to me. But, okay. <laughs> you do what you gotta do? Question mark? Yeah. I guess. I guess. I, <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. really... <laughs> I don't really know. (laughs) So upon the police's arrival, Simmons actually handed over his gun and turned himself in willingly. Like, he did not put up a fight at all. I mean, to me, just, like, personally, it sounds like someone who turned themselves in. And, in fact, not only turned yourself in, you forced someone at gunpoint to call the cops on you. That sounds like you're very mentally unstable. Let's not... That's not even adding on top of all the horrific shit he just did. Okay? So, therefore, he's obviously immediately arrested, held without bail, and sent to do a psych evaluation to ensure he was mentally stable and fit to proceed. Uh, Fun fact, he was. They found him mentally sane. Not sure how, but okay. I guess I shouldn't say not sure how, because even, like, Jeffrey Dahmer was found mentally sane. So. Yeah, I I feel like you really gotta. I don't, I, I don't know. So even, like, okay, so the, there was a case recently in Wisconsin with um, the parade in Waukesha where he, like, ran over a bunch of people at the Waukesha parade. And I know I was, like, oh, like sending yeah. you pictures and stuff. And he was, like, taking yeah. a shirt off in court. And, like, court TV had said that one of the things, like, for you to be competent for, like, or basically, like, the main piece of you having, you know, to be competent, um, like, is that you understand, like, well, I think, no, I'm going to take this back. Because I think this was just to be your own attorney, like, to be pro se. Because, but, like, to be a pro se attorney, it was, like, basically that you just needed to understand, like, the word attorney and plaintiff and, like defendant like the basic terms like that's what they were basing it off of which like I feel like you don't what does that mean like that you have to understand things but I think like with the psych evaluations they do stuff like that but then they ask you questions that are like okay do you understand this like do you understand this process and as long as you understand like little things then you're like good to go I don't know the whole system's jacked 
Okay, so this says it refers to whether a person has the capacity to understand criminal proceedings in court, can understand what they are charged with, can understand the court process, can actively participate in a trial, can understand and know when to challenge a juror on things they object to. Yes. Which I feel like... I don't know. I don't feel like... I don't know. I feel like most, most people that are like in the system wouldn't really fully understand that they have to be explained it and then they're like okay like I guess I get it but like I don't feel like anyone fully understands that yeah I mean I don't (laughs) I don't really know because I always thought it was like to determine your mental health basically but I guess like you can be in prison and convicted of a crime and be like on medication and mentally yeah. I don't know. It's just you can't. I think it's like you shouldn't have been in the like um in like a mental or like in a what's it called a mental breakdown at the time sure. of the crime sure. or like if sure. you're schizophrenic, like, you should go to a mental health facility. Yeah. Like but, if like, you if you're bipolar and, like, a breakdown, odds are, as long as you're medicated, you should be going to prison because mm-hmm. you're not necessarily completely unstable. I guess it depends on the severity because, you know. Well, that's true, too, because I honestly think, like, even the if you're schizophrenic, if you only have, like, a you know, mild case that you would still go to prison. I don't think that they would send you, like, to a mental institution well, that, it was, like, severe. Bringing it back to Slenderman again. Um, yeah. That Slenderman case, the girl went to a mental facility because mm-hmm. she was schizophrenic. I thought, wasn't she schizophrenic? I think she got diagnosed. I think she got diagnosed with that, but she, I think there was something else, too. I think they both went to a, a like, Monona or whatever, the mental facility. Interesting. Okay, well, enough with this tangent. He was found mentally fit to see in trial. They actually transferred him to do the psych evaluation in secret, according to the newspapers at the time, because apparently there were multiple threats on his life while he was being held in police custody, and the police were worried he wouldn't even make it to the mental facility if the public knew that's what was happening. Which I was like, is this the fucking Wild West? <laughs> like, that's some it sounds like it. that happened. <laughs> sounds like it's the Wild Wild West. Literally. <laughs> well, Ronald did not speak to anyone, not even the police while in custody. He would eventually speak a little bit to his court-appointed attorney, but that was really it. When the news broke of the attacks and mass murder of the entire Simmons family, many people spoke out to try to piece together a motive. Ronald's brother-in-law, Becky's brother Abe, told reporters that Ronald had for a fact sexually abused Sheila starting when she was only 15 and impregnated her while they were living in New Mexico. The family did know this. The district attorney in the city of New Mexico, where they lived, confirmed in that, that in August of 1981, Ronald was indicted on incest charges. 
He also said that Sheila had to be ordered by a judge to testify to the grand jury because she didn't want to do so. But they did have her testify. That's how they issued that indictment. So Ronald must have been 100% accurate and known, had known, like, oh, I'm about to be arrested if they just forced my daughter to testify to grand jury trial or grand jury proceeding. But when the family fled and abandoned their home, the incest indictment indictment was dropped after a year because they couldn't locate him a school nurse also came forward to the newspapers and said that Sheila reported to her that she was carrying her father's child and that the nurse had to enlist the help of the state legislator before charges were officially brought against Ronald and then finally Ronald's sister-in-law also came forward to reporters and told them after the incest indictment and the family fled, Ronald secluded the kids and her sister Becky from the rest of the family even more than they already had been. He was violent and apparently would beat Becky, and the rest of his family speculated over children, speculated that other children in the family were also being or had been sexually abused, but they were never able to confirm nor deny this. Ronald also censored Becky's conversations and her mail, not passing along mail from the family, not allowing her to, like, say certain things in letters she wrote. They didn't have a phone on the property because of this. He did not want her to be able to communicate freely with her family when he was not home and present. I actually saw that the week of their the family's murder, Becky had written like a three-page letter to her brother and he was shocked because that was the longest letter she had ever written since they moved. And she went on this whole, you know, tangent about how well everyone was doing and all this stuff and was like begging him to write a long letter back and like tell him how the family was because she hadn't heard really about his her family and, like, her nieces and nephews and all of that stuff, there was, like, a lot of her family speculated that she knew something was coming or something was happening, uh, or she just kind of had this inclination because she reached out and wrote such a thorough, like, long letter. And they aren't sure if she had to, like, sneak it past Ronald or what, but it was, like, painting a very, like, positive view on the family. So she didn't say anything bad. During the investigation, mail was also retrieved that Loretta, the 17-year-old, had sent to a school friend in the summer before somehow. they Again, they don't know if she somehow snuck this out or what happened, but the two letters she wrote to her friend contained an important insight into the family dynamics and the household, at least from the children's perspective. Loretta told her friend how she was depressed and sad being locked away. She had no friends and she was being secluded. She told her friend that her father constantly berated her by telling her she wasn't good enough. She knew her father didn't like her, but then he would turn around and call her conceited. Uh, So definitely a lot of gaslighting and manipulation there. She and her siblings and her mother weren't allowed to Uh, wear makeup or dress too pretty or like in anything too revealing they didn't want to be um, desirable in her father's eyes 
And Loretta also told her friend in her letter that she would rather die than continue to live like that, which is really sad to hear. She was only 17 at the time of her death that Christmas. So just within six months of that letter. The murder trials were held separately uh, instead of a whole, which I at first thought was strange, but there was more concrete evidence on the shooting rampage on December 28th since there were actually witnesses. So at first they just were trying him based off that rampage, the attempted murders and the two murders he did commit on Kathy and James Chaffin. Obviously, at the time, he was suspected of killing his family, but it wasn't absolute, and they were working on building that case. But in the meantime, he was found guilty on May 12, 1988, for the murders of Kathy Kendrick and James Chaffin. He was sentenced to death for these two murders, and to add to this, he made a statement under oath supposedly supporting his sentence. So, again, makes me question his mental health. What? Yes, don't worry, I have the statement for you. Oh, thank God. His statement was the following. I, Ronald Gene Simmons Sr., want it to be known that it is my wish and my desire that absolutely no action by anyone be taken to appeal or in any way change this sentence. It is further respectfully requested the sentence be carried out expeditiously. So, like... He's basically saying, don't appeal, no one appeal on my behalf, and someone kill me quickly. That's crazy. But, I mean, he also decided, like, when he was done. So, like, you know, he went on the shooting rampage and then told someone at gunpoint, like, hey, you gotta call the police, like, I'm done with this now. So, I mean, maybe yes, in some weird, twisted way, like, he's saying, like, or, you know, continue so, with that aspect. Like, I'm done. I know what I did. Yeah, it makes me feel like he wanted to die for his crimes. But instead of, like, committing suicide, he turned himself in so the yeah. state would execute him. Like, that's what it seems like to me. And I don't know if they were a religious family or what. I couldn't find anything about that. Because usually that's what I would think if religion comes into play. But, uh I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting because the dynamics of family annihilators, <laughs> um, I'm sure we all saw the Chris Watts docuseries, but like, don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> but like the family dynamics and the family annihilators are like super important because you have cases like Chris Watts that are like outliers and they don't usually make sense statistically usually what you see is something where like you kill your family and then you kill yourself like that's the majority of family annihilators that's what happens i do feel like though and especially since you brought like chris watts into this specifically like there was a lot of like talk after that you know that he was too he wasn't gonna kill himself like people that yeah knew him basically said like that he wasn't gonna kill himself like that's not who he was as a person well, like he was, he was too selfish he also tried to get away with it so yeah <laughs> that's a whole nother story but... But, like there's definitely that certain like you know personality type or like specific type of person that like they're not gonna kill themselves like whether they don't yeah. want to live the life or anymore or not like a just... thousand percent there are a hundred like I 100% know what you're talking about. Like, the characteristics and types of of people. I'm surprised because Ronald 
doesn't like he seems like someone who probably would just take that easy way out but he didn't so I don't know I think that also does kind of you know speak a lot about a person like either that either on like I guess I don't know how I want to say this like either on their specific like characteristics and like traits that they have as a person or like the fact that they're not going to take that easy way out because it is so easy you know you could have just been done with it right then and there instead of spending the rest of your life in prison and or getting dying no you're gonna die there literally well ronald then eventually would go on to be tried for the murders of all 14 of his family members he was also found guilty of these crimes on february 10th 1989 Close to your birthday there, Sid. And I wasn't even thought of yet. No, but (laughs) it's close to your birthday. And again, sentenced to death. The day the guilty verdict was read, Ronald actually assaulted the prosecutor. It was believed he was doing so in an attempt to reach for the prosecutor's gun. But he was wrestled to the ground and taken out of the courtroom. So, again, like, I don't know if that was, like, a way of trying to kill himself or be killed or what. Why does the prosecutor have a gun? I don't know. Is this the Wild West? But it's, like, the late 80s and it's in the state of Arkansas. So, like, maybe that was normal at the time. I don't feel like, I mean, the only thing that I could think is, like, if it's, like, evidence, like, you're holding the gun, like, that he was using, but, like, they're just walking in there strapped, like, ready to I go. I mean, maybe. It's literally the Wild West. I If it was Texas, I wouldn't even question it. I'd be like, that's normal. That's normal. So, okay, Texas is the Wild West. <laughs> Arkansas is down there. It's, like, southern, southwest-ish. Arkansas is I don't really it's as far. I mean it is, but it's not as far like from us here, like yeah, as Texas is. I don't like, know. I guess I, I don't question con- it. I don't consider that the Wild <laughs> West. Like Texas, if you would have said Texas, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have even commented on it. I would have been like, that's fine. I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm just reading the facts. I didn't even question it. I was like, this is probably normal at the time. <laughs> But yet again, Ronald refused to appeal his death sentence, again stating the following, to those who oppose the death penalty, in my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment. So, obviously, he did want to die. He believed he should die for his crimes. The court actually conducted a hearing on his competence after this to ensure he was actually capable of waiving waiving further proceedings. They did find that he was knowing and intelligent in in his decision making, but they thought it was like, oh, we have to reevaluate his competence if he is waiving his right to appeal. So he was reaffirmed facing 16 death sentences. His refusal to appeal the case was actually the subject of a Supreme Court case, Whitmore v. Arkansas. Another death row inmate, Jonas Whitmore, attempted to force an appeal on Ronald's case on his behalf, but was unsuccessful. He was... (laughs) Ronald was actually separated from the other inmates while on death row because he was threatened constantly 
The other inmates believed his refusal to appeal his death sentence was damaging their chances of beating their own sentences. So I thought that was interesting. Like, maybe that's why this guy tried to appeal on his behalf. But, like, Ronald didn't want that. (laughs) So I have no idea. I also feel like... Like, when you said that, like, one thing that came to mind for me, and, like, that very well could be it, but, like, I also feel like the inmates get bored. So he's probably oh, like, yeah. I'm gonna help, I'm gonna help this guy out. Like, you know, I'm a, a jail attorney. I got this covered. Like, whether the guy wanted to help or not, he's like, fuck you, I need something to do. So, like, I'm gonna look into somebody else's case. I could definitely see that being a thing. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I thought it was interesting, but then I saw that he was, like, separated constantly because he was being threatened, and that was why. Who knows if that's really why, because, you know, obviously he did some horrific shit that usually makes it hard for you to have an enjoyable prison sentence. So, maybe that's why. I don't know. Very true. On May 31st, 1990, the then-governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton signed Ronald's execution warrant and Ronald Gene Simmons Sr. was executed in the state of Arkansas on June 25th, 1990 by his method of choice, which was lethal injection. Uh, Fun fact, none of his surviving relatives would claim his body and therefore he was buried in a potter's field in Lincoln County, Arkansas. Uh, Very fair. Don't think I would want his body either. That's interesting, though. So, the motive is still unknown because Ronald didn't really talk about why he just snapped and what happened. Uh, Again, there's a lot of theories. So, I mentioned Becky's brother speaking out about, like, getting this three-page letter and, like, all this stuff. Some of her family speculated, like, oh, maybe she was finally going to leave him and divorce him and come, like, be with the family. Or that's what she was trying to do. And he found out. Uh, I don't know. His two oldest, or his second oldest son and his oldest daughter, Sheila, who is the one he sexually abused as a child, confirmed at least, they didn't live there. They lived, they were married and lived with their own families and they still stayed in touch. So I'm not sure if maybe they were also providing support for the mom, Becky, to, like, try to leave or what was happening. Uh, But there were still five children that lived in that home. One was an adult. Uh, The oldest son did still live there, and he had his child that was in the home constantly as well. But I don't – the motive's unknown (laughs) to this day. Ronald never spoke about what happened. He just kind of – I don't want to say woke up and snapped because he did plan it. I mean, he quit his job a few days before he had a few weeks before had the family dig that cesspit for him and said like, Oh, it's going to be for an outhouse. Like, so he was planning to do this, but the motive is just really unknown. He will go in to history as the worst mass murderer in the state of Arkansas. At the time, it was the second worst mass murderer in the U.S., um, only behind the Texas, uh, was it University of Texas shooter, campus shooter at the time. Obviously, unfortunately, there are more 
mass murderers in the state or in the United States now, but he is still considered the worst family massacre killer in the history of the U.S., which is just like an awful title to have. A terrible title to have. I also think it's interesting because it's, you know, I've never heard of this. So, like, the fact that Me this either. was <laughs> at one point, you know, the wor- one of the worst and, like, it is the worst family massacre and, like, that's pretty crazy. Uh, yes. We talked about this, like, oh, I don't know where I even found this. Uh, I think what was... <laughs> what was happening is I was like hmm let me look up December Christmas theme cases and I can find something fun and I think that's probably how I found this to be honest um I'm not 100% sure don't really remember but I think that's how because I was looking for something fun and lighthearted for like a Christmas cryptid or like more folklore to do again this year and so I think that's probably I also found this and um very sorry because it's not very oh merry christmas <laughs> happy holidays no not at all those searches they'll never turn out well i mean you find some no. interesting stuff but it's never what you intend for it to be going into ever. It, I feel like it's never what you intend it to be <laughs> nope so yeah that's that's fun it's an interesting one for sure. I'm going to have to look up some pictures after this. Um, I was telling Peyton I looked at some stuff earlier, but I don't feel like I looked very in-depth. So I'm excited to see what else pops up out there after. Um. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to add before we have you do jokes and facts? I don't think so, probably, right? No, this was a good one. Uh, definitely. It was very horrific but i'm happy that you found it yeah you know like i said merry freaking christmas merry freaking christmas yeah i'm sorry it's not very uh not not very um christmas spirit holiday spirit (laughs) holiday spirit i think that's good yeah Uh, well, if that's the case, I'll let you jump in to do any, uh, or a fun fact and a joke for us. In that order? Um, yeah, let's go that order. <laughs> I don't I even want to about whether I'm going to, like, surprise you, but I just, like, haven't really felt like doing that yet. <laughs> I don't even know why I asked, because it's always the same, but I am waiting for you I one like day to be that like, order. let's do a joke. And I'm going to be like, whoa, she surprised me. I just, I like that order. I think it's fun. (laughs) It's better to end on the joke at the end, right? I agree. I agree. It's a good leaving note. Well, I try. (laughs) Okay, hit me with your fun fact. So chimichangas were founded in 1922 in Tucson, Arizona, when... A restaurant owner, Monica, had dropped a burrito into a deep fryer and immediately started to utter a Spanish profanity that starts with chi, um, but quickly stopped herself and instead yelled chimichanga, which is like a Spanish equivalent of thingamajig. This is my favorite fun fact you've probably <laughs> ever said. Because I thought you it just was... told me that the chimichanga not only was 
by accident. Absolutely an accident. But that the name came up with it was also by accident. <laughs> also by accident. She went to yell profanity and then said thingamajig in Spanish, which I thought was super wild. I love this so much. <laughs> Thank also, you for that. Of course. <laughs> um, you can also tell that I'm running out of things to find facts on. <laughs> I've now moved on to chimichangas. <laughs> well, like I said, I thought that was my favorite fun fact so far. I thought that was the most interesting one we've had in a while. And yeah. I've liked some of these ones lately. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's saying something. Exactly. Okay, well, hit me with a joke. What's guacamole made of? I mean, I know the answer, but I guess I'll say <laughs> what? <laughs> Guacamolecules. Oh, my God. <laughs> that one was a stretch. Yeah, it was a bit of a stretch for us here. <laughs> it was a stretch, but it had, like, three up up arrows on it, so I was like, okay, it's going to work. We got 88 episodes. The jokes are getting slim again, guys. <laughs> We're going to have to branch out and find something new to do eventually. It'll just We've end up just being... been avoiding it. It's going to just be a generic dad jokes, I think. Like, they literally... just won't be specific <laughs> okay. to, the, to the theme. We can always go that route. That's okay. I think it'll work. That Yeah. Because then it'll be like indefinite jokes. Yeah. Never ending supply then. Maybe we can do Christmas jokes for the rest of the month. Ooh, holiday like jokes. Holidays. Like how we did how we did the Halloween ones. We could do some holiday jokes. Ooh, I like this idea. Switch it up a little. Yeah, cool. I'm down. We'll do that. It might make it a little easier for you too. <laughs> It'll probably be easier and they'll probably be funnier. <laughs> okay, bet we're gonna try that. <laughs> Well, that is all I have to add. Do you have anything else to add before uh, we wrap it up? No, nothing here. Sweet. Well, uh, if that is the case, then, folks, you can find us on Facebook, Tacos and Tequila Podcast. On Instagram, it's just Tacos and Tequila. We also have a website, tacosandtequilapodcast.com, has links to all our episodes on Spotify, our sources and summaries of each episode, and it is current and up to date. <laughs> Woo! And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure that you leave us a rating and a review. Helps us get noticed and see what you guys like. Um, I know if you're on Instagram or Facebook, I just posted that Spotify wrapped, which was really cool to see what we had for the year and the increase on people of people on Spotify. Oh, yeah, cool. that was so cool. So keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, it helps us get noticed if you give us uh, likes and reviews. So uh, has other people find our lovely voices to listen to us? Cringe. Um, yeah, I was going to say, which we love but also hate. So, you know. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, happy December. And I guess we'll talk to you next week for 
hopefully something that's not as horrific, but I won't set you up for failure, Sid. So we'll just kind of be <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Ha 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 ha!